quite a few new people here today, so welcome. My name's Joe, if I didn't get to meet you on the way in. Uh, but we have our newest, newest, newest member at church today. Uh, and I think our youngest, newest member as well, uh, Hannah and Raj. Raj, you are here with little Oliver. So welcome. Cutest little baby. So good. Yes. Currently in the parents' room, I think. So, yep, getting the nod from dad back there. Yes. Very good. You know, uh, last night I was having this dream that mid-preach, um, Ivana starts going into labor. <laughs> and then she's upset at me because I wanted to finish my message. <laughs> but I couldn't for obvious reasons. And then I'm like, you know, thankfully I've got really good notes. And then I'm like, quick, Jack, come up and like finish the rest of my preach. You had that dream? <laughs> Guys, it could be today just saying like, that's a joke. I hope not. <laughs> Ivana's like, I rebuke that. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, dear. Oh, that would be a wild Sunday morning service, wouldn't it? Yes. I literally pictured like picking you up, running out to the cars, like driving off. Yeah, well, you know, I'm going to make you walk. All right. Well, let me start. John 10.10 says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Living the abundant life is not only a gift from God, but it's actually a witness to the world around us. When we are living the abundant life that God has for us, when we are living saved, abundant lives, when we are living in the freedom of God, it is a witness to the world around us. There has to be a visible difference between us and the world. There has to be, there has to be a difference. There has to be an attraction between the chosen children of God and the rest of the world around us. Why? Because we want them all. God wants every single human being to be a child of God. Have you ever dreamed of winning a large sum of money or just one day uh, getting lots of nods? Yep, come on, you all have. Don't lie to yourself this morning. Uh, or you've dreamed of like receiving an inheritance from a long lost relative, one that you didn't know about and it was on your other side's other side way back like some sultan dude or something. It's like... And there's like a lot and, you, and you've just been told that you're getting it. Like it's fun to think about that, isn't it? Like it's, it's fun to think about what you could do with it. Like I think instantly it's like that dream car that I've been praying for, it's in the garage. It's in the garage and so is the other 10 cars that I've been dreaming about and the house and all this stuff. And, and you start, like you quickly spend it, don't you, when you start to think about like just receiving this large sum of money, or you think about, you know, those massive amounts of money, that, or you, you think about, you know, sometimes you hear of rich people on the news and the, they, they start throwing around the figures that they have. You know, I thought about this the other, um, uh, I think it was the end of last year, Australia had its biggest Powerball ever of $100 million, and apparently one in two humans in Australia bought lots of tickets. Like, man, one in two, that's a lot of people. It's like, no wonder that a whole lot of money. And, uh, you know, I worked it out that if you, if you spent 
if you just spent it, did nothing else but spent it over 50 years, you can spend $2 million a year. Well, like, man, that's, that's unbelievable. But then I like to get, I like to get smart about, about stuff like that. And I'm like, what if I invested it? Because if you invested it just at 2%, it's probably a very bad investment. But with that much money, you'd probably have to spread it across a number of banks because they don't like large sums of money. They don't like to pay interest on savings, do they? No. Love to increase the other stuff, but not the savings account. It's unbelievable. Anyways, moving on. Our RBA leader giving it to the banks the other week on the news. I was like, yeah, give it to them. You know, it's just 2%. That's $2 million a year. So you could keep your 100 mil and just invest it and spend the 2% every year. And it's like, that actually be really smart. I was like, you know what? There's ways to steward inheritance. You know the greatest inheritance that anyone could ever hope to ever receive is Jesus? Because with Jesus, we get a lot. A lot. We get everything. I think sometimes we, we lose sight because of our decisions in life that stop us from receiving the abundance of our relationship with Jesus. We think that, we, that, that there's, yes, lots to come. We're not really sure about heaven and what it's going to be like. And, you know, am I really going to enjoy it that much? And we start to really hold on to our time here on earth quite tightly, don't we? And, uh, and then we, we think, well, you know, I've, I've got to try and enjoy now because, you know, like we, we think, we, we say as Christians, yeah, we're going to enjoy heaven. But, but sometimes I think we're, we're not sure we're going to enjoy it that much. I can tell you confidently we're going to enjoy it a lot. It, it, it is what we were designed for. It's what we were meant for. And it's not going to be dull and boring and not fun, and when you might think you're not going to enjoy it. The greatest interpretation, the greatest illustration that I have heard recently in all of my studying around the scriptures and everything uh, was from John Bevere, was this uh, allegory called Aphabel. And if you've ever read the book, or I would encourage you, Driven by Eternity, and just the concept that God says he has placed eternity in the heart of every man, Eternity is being redeemed for us. Remember, we were designed in the garden on earth, this earth, the earth that you and I currently live on. We were going to live here forever. Able to access the heavenlies, heaven and earth. This is where we were designed. It was only because of the fall that God took us out of the garden so we couldn't eat the tree of life, so that we wouldn't remain in the fallen state. Before the fall, there was enjoyment in work. There was enjoyment in eating. There was enjoyment in relating. Heaven is so much more than what I think has been presented to us or we haven't studied it enough for too long. But can I tell you, we are going to receive a new heaven and a new earth and the city of Jerusalem and we are going to enjoy it and there is no sickness, no issues, no stuff, no hurt, no pain, no, no, no lack, but just eternal living, eternal life, eternal worship, eternal fellowship, eternal enjoyment. Like one of the first things we get to do is eat a feast 
to have a party. Like it says, when one gets saved, all of heaven rejoices and throws a party. Like, like it's spoken of a lot, like, like the wedding feast that you and I will enjoy in our honor, the bride. You think about this is the first thing. How much more are we going to do in heaven? So I want to encourage you that the greatest inheritance that you could ever receive is your relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to get quite deep today. Uh, we're going to go into some really deep theological teaching through the scriptures around inheritance today. And so I've entitled my message, Abundant Living. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that today our eyes would be open to more of you, that your word would give us revelation. Lord, that we could live abundant lives. Lord, that we could take hold of the promises of God, that we can live out a fruitful life as you have commanded us to do. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide us today. Teach us, equip us, encourage us, convict us. Help us to be who you have called us to be in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. All right, let me start in the book of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. It says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. How good is it that we have an inheritance that cannot be corrupted by change or decay? Like there's a lot of talk around at the moment around our inheritance that we'll receive out of our superannuation funds and stuff like that. There's a lot of talk around the inflation rising, is it peaked, how do we deal with the stresses of life? There's a lot of pressure in our economy at the moment, the wars, the rumors of wars, all of the different uh, banks over in America failing and stuff like that. There is a lot going on in our world system. But there is a system that you and I have access to that is above it all. As the children of God, we have access to more. We have access to the abundance of Jesus, to his inheritance. Salvation is our inheritance, and it's because of Jesus. He's the firstborn. He is the Adam that God gave to us that was able to not give in to the temptations of this life, redeeming us from the first Adam. You see, our inheritance in God can't be impacted by the turbulence of our world economy, of our world system. It's secure. It's stable. It's good. It's perfect. It's pleasing. It is exciting. It's an inheritance worth having. And I would encourage you that the Bible teaches us that it's not just an inheritance for the time to come, but for now. There's a, there's a verse in Timothy where uh, Paul was encouraging Timothy to obviously also encourage us around the investment into our bodies. It says that bodily training holds some value. And it does, because we've got one temple and we're supposed to look after the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it says training for godliness holds value 
and reward for the time to come and for now. When we enter into relationship with Jesus, we enter into his providence. We enter into the fullness of what God has given to us. In Romans 8, God tells us he has made us children. He has made us. He has adopted us. And he uses this word, it says co-heir with Christ. You think about that, co-heir. That we receive the inheritance because we're adopted, but that we are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs. Jesus bringing us alongside him. It's a powerful thought. We're not an afterthought to God. We're, we're, not, we're not low. We're not, we're not forgotten about. We are his pinnacle. We are made in his image. We are co-heirs with Christ. And just like God gives us an inheritance, the Bible says that we also are to raise an inheritance for our children's children. You know, I think often when we read this verse in Proverbs 13, verse 22, it'll be on the screen, it says this, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, so to their children's children, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. The biblical principle of the wealth of the world, of the goats, as the Bible says, is stored up and given to the sheep, and we see that in the Old Testament. Israelites going into lands and cities and buildings and farms that they did not build, they did not plant, but they received it and lived in it. It's a principle of God, but I believe that it's not just of physical inheritance that we are to steward, we are to steward spiritual inheritance. You know, myself, I'm a, I'm a second generation Christian. My parents got saved when they were uh, young adults. Uh, and I've grown up in a Christian environment, but they, they did not. They grew up in a good environment, but they did not grow up in a Christian environment. And largely, our world is, uh, especially in the West, is, is definitely slipping away from the Judaistic principles that the West was founded on. I firmly believe that's why the West is so blessed in comparison to so many other state powers around our world. The spiritual inheritance and physical inheritance is to be passed on. So we have to understand our role in passing it on. Because it's not passing all of it on, it's stewarding it. It's stewarding it. Stewarding the resource that God has given us or given us the ability to create. And again, it's not just a physical inheritance, but it's spiritual as well. Are you setting up your children and your children's children with the knowledge of salvation, the greatest of inheritance? Are you fostering an environment in your home where the spiritual inheritance is able to be learned, experienced, understood, the presence of God? That is a greater inheritance that you could work towards than any other physical inheritance that you could leave because if you didn't come in with it, you can't take it away with you. So what can be taken? Your spiritual inheritance, your salvation. There is nothing worth more than a soul. You see, money is for now. It's only for this time on earth. I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 6. It says this, verse 19 to 24. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. 
Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You'll know if you're enslaved to money because money will be a worry. That's not freedom. When money is causing you to worry, it's not freedom. You're living in the fullness of what God has for you because money is not the goal. Stuff is not the goal. Souls are the goals. Souls need to be our goals. Money is a tool. It's for now. In, you know, in the time to come, it says that the streets in the New Jerusalem will be paved with gold. It's like what we would consider bitumen down here. God's like, yeah, that'll do. You know, that, that can be what we walk on. It's a tool. But money really drives the world. It really drives the world. And I would encourage you to not allow what drives the world to drive you because if you do, you start to become enslaved to it as a master. How many times do you check your bank account in a week? How many times do you check the Word of God in a week? How many times do you worry about money? How many times do you worry about people going to hell? Do a check of what you are chasing. Do a spiritual check of your life. What are, what are you chasing? What are you desiring? Stewarding, stewarding our inheritance. You see, to go deeper now, we have to understand that what we have comes from God. That God has given us not only the talents, but he's asked us to use the talents, to create with the talents what he has left us with, because that's what we will be judged by, with what we have done, with what he has given us. When we take ownership over his talents... That's when we start to slip into issues because then we have, to, we have to provide. We have to make it happen because we now own it. But when we recognize that everything that we have, every good thing comes from God, the Bible says, when we recognize that, then what we can do is we can hold it a little bit looser and we can start to become a steward over what God has given us, a steward over the resource that God has given us. This is what it says in Malachi chapter 3. I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return to you when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, 
says the Lord of heaven's armies. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Guys, I'm going to need the uh, blackboard in just a second, if you can go get it ready to pull it over. All right. So, to understand the tithe, where does it come from? And what part does it have in our inheritance? In its original Hebrew meaning, it's pronounced this, ma'aseya, and it translates tenth part, a payment of a tenth part, a tenth of what we receive. So, if I can have that over, gentlemen, please. Thank you. Uh, just, yeah, that black side there, that'd be good. All right. Uh, got my uh, blackboard out today. Couple, three, three teaching illustrations today. Bring it all the way over into the middle. Thanks. Sorry, I changed my mind. That's good. Awesome. All right. So, I'll start over this and uh, don't go too far, guys. So, if we can view our ability to create wealth, our income, what we receive, uh, that's, our, that's, our, that's our bank account, that's our uh, hole in the mattress, wherever you store your money, whatever it is, wherever you get it, and you put it in, so uh, there's, you know, um, that would be 50% there, so uh, we've got 40, 30, 20, 10, uh, 60, 70, 80, there we are. So, we've received 100% of our income from what we've done, either what God has given unto us or what God has enabled us to do with the time that he has blessed us with here on earth. So, this here is 100%. What God says is he wants us to give him 10%. So, if we take out 10%, it leaves us with 90%. I would put to you to view this a little differently. That this is what has come in, but this is actually our... 100%. Let me explain why. You guys can slide that away for a second, please. Just put it on an angle over near the stairs so everyone can reference it. Let, Let me unpack Malachi for a second before I go on to a couple of other scriptures today. So, God says, give me the tenth, give me a tenth, give me, give me ten percent. Obviously, that leaves us with 90%. I want to encourage you to view that 90% as your 100%. Don't view the whole lot as your 100%, because the Bible says it's not yours. The Bible says that there is a portion of that that is God's. So, in the teaching, and if we can throw Malachi chapter 3 back up on the screen, 
is three points, three commanded teachings that God gives us here. Jesus says, our Lord, our Lord of the hosts of heaven's armies, he says, number one, giving God what he requires releases our 90% to be abundant. It breaks a curse. You see, under the fall of man, there's a curse on this earth. Jesus has come to redeem us out of that curse, out of the way of the world. We're going to go a little bit deeper into that in a minute. But let me just give you three three commanded teachings. The giving of the first 10% blesses the remaining 90%. Life and life abundant. The life, the 10%, the abundant. What we get to live off, the salvation that Jesus gives us, we can't do anything about it. It's His. He is the one that has saved us by grace and by grace alone, the 90%. The second teaching, it says your 90% either remains 90% by either being protected or is made more by being fruitful. And the illustrations that are given there is it'll be protected. Protected from what? From insects from disease, protected from falling to the ground too soon. So when we give God the 10%, the 90% remains 90% by being protected. There's not going to come things that are going to attack it down to 70% or a, an incident, an accident or something that is uh, planned by the enemy or just by the fall and curse of the world that we live in. When we give our 10%, it releases us from that. So it's protected, but it's also made more fruitful. It's made abundant. The third commanded teaching out of this, it says, is that the 10% is for God's storehouse, the temple. This is not the percentage that we give to the needy. It's not the percentage we give to the poor or, the, or our family or store it up for a rainy day, etc., etc. That is what is to come out of our 100%, which is our 90%. I'll get to that, like I said, in a minute. It then makes a statement, if you do. Because the promises of God are always conditional. His love is not. His love is very unconditional. And it's by Him alone. His promises, there's always an if you do. If, read it, from start to finish, Genesis to Revelation. It's going to say generation. That's like, that's the whole Bible in one, if you didn't know. If you do, there's a reward, the benefit. There's three rewards that I read here. Number one, provision. God becomes your provider. What do we say? If you've been a Christian a long time, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, our provider. If we do, we are pulling out the responsibility, the requirement for us to have to provide for ourselves. The second is abundant provision, not just provision, but abundant provision. It says you won't be able to contain it all. If you do, the word says that he will, it says test him and watch what I will do. I will give it to you and you won't be able to, you won't even be able to handle it. There is not just provision, but when we do it God's way, there is abundant provision. You won't be able to contain it all. You'll have more than enough. The third promise is protection. Your provision will be guarded from attack and from falling. Why? What's the purpose of living the abundant life? 
because it's a witness to the world around us. You'll be called blessed. You'll be called blessed. You'll be like, wow, you're a, you must be a child of God. You must be a child of God. It says this will bring glory to the Father, a witness to the world. See, tithing is the beginning and the end of breaking the bondage of the enslavement to money. But for God, it's not just a tenth part that he requires. He requires the first, the first tenth part. So when we, when we have our, our income that comes in, God says, the first, give me the first. We don't tick off all of our bills. We don't tick off all of our stuff, add to the savings account, put over here for the children's children, future account, the spending account, the groceries account, all of the different stuff. God says, no, no, no. You do that out of the 90%. First, give me the first. Jesus, let me now go even deeper, is our first fruits offering. When Jesus was dying, he made this statement as he shouted out. He said, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. With those words, he breathed his last. Have a, have a think about this. Jesus was the first fruit offering for us. He was the first fruits offering so we could receive our inheritance. Because without him, we can't. When God gave Jesus, he exampled to us and it has released us from death. Let's read this next slide, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Jesus was the best part of God and he was given, fully given, nothing held back. The first of the harvest. Jesus explained this principle when he was trying to teach his disciples around stewarding our inheritance. He, he was no doubt sitting in one of the synagogues and people were giving. And it says a whole bunch of rich people came and they, they threw their, their money into the receiver and, and Jesus said, well, you know, that's all the reward they're going to get. And what they've given is just, it's just a tiny part. It, it's, a, it's a little bit of the surplus of what they have. But he noticed a widow who came and gave two small coins. Now, obviously, the two small coins was not as much in value as what would have been given by the others. But Jesus said her giving was received by God and her giving was going to release her from the fall of sin. The rich people in the teaching that Jesus gave in that moment to his disciples, Luke 21, they didn't give their best. There was no honor in the giving. It was not their best. It was charity to God. But God does not need charity. God doesn't want, charity doesn't want just a bit. God actually requires it all. 
God actually requires it all. Let me read this to you. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. You see, when we do it God's way, we get the result that God promises. This is my prayer for us today, church, is that we wouldn't be a group of people that worry. Because that was one of the biggest statements that Jesus made in his sermon, his sermon on the mount. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't, don't slip in to worrying or living a life that he has given us freedom to bring us out of. You see, if we don't do it God's way, then we don't get the reward. And there's purpose to God withholding. God will not lean in and bless when we are not living the way God commands us to because that will only make us think that, well, what we're doing is good, what we're doing is right. That's not a good dad. Good dads don't do that. Good fathers don't do that. Good parents don't do that. When they see their children living in a way that is not going to help them, they don't bless that lifestyle. It started in the beginning, Genesis 4. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. See, God's not the one crouching at the door waiting to get us. God's not the one that, is, that, that does evil because he can't do evil, he can only do good. God is not the one that goes, oh, well, you know, you didn't, so I'm going to get you now. <laughs> Watch this. No, no. No, sin is crouching at the door. The result of the fall is crouching at the door. The result of not walking out the freedom of God is crouching at the door. What happened post this? Well, Cain gave in to sin, gave in to temptation, manipulated a moment with his brother, sucked him in, got him out into the field, and then overwhelmed with rage, murdered his own brother. You see, God requires the best part. It wasn't that one was meat and one was, was, was crops or vegetables. It was that, well, Cain gave some. It wasn't the first thought. It wasn't the best. God requires the best part, the first part, a tenth part, but he desires a willingness to give it all as he gave it all. You know, I believe as we come into this revelation when we recognize the importance of stewarding what God has given us while we're here on earth, we will know a special freedom that we can't know any other way. Because when God's in control, there is so much peace. There's so much peace. If I can have the, the board back, please, because I want to jump into my second of three points of stewarding our 100%. If we look down now 
on our income, on our ability to create wealth. We can view it, the Bible says, as a field. Note to self. <laughs> that's, that's your income. That's your wealth. Well, if you're, if you're living like, if you're living like this, out of balance, you know, there's, there's too much pressure on this side with, with living expenses or there's too much pressure over this side with, with trying to get ahead or do something and you've started to live beyond your, your means, living beyond your field, that's not balance, that's not order. That's when you start to worry, living within Living within your means, as the world says, living within the field, as the word says, is where you'll begin the journey of not worrying. But the Bible goes another step further and says that we have to give. And remember, this is this is our this is our hundred percent. It's our it's our hundred percent. It's post the ten percent. So we have. 90% of what we receive becoming our 100% to now steward. But the Bible says, don't harvest at all. Leave the edges. Leave the edges. So that the poor and the needy and the foreign in your land are able to come through and harvest what you've left talks about the, the grain along the edges of your field or the, the, the grapes on your, your vineyard as the illustrations. It says, don't, don't strip it all. Don't take it all. Leave the edges of the field. Because when you leave that, you're now starting to access the next level of abundance. Because you're not only living within your mean, there's a reduced worry in your life. But now you've got enough, more than enough, to live for yourself, but also to live for those around you. How do we, how, are we, how can we give more? Because the Bible, the world tells us how do we get more. The Bible, Jesus himself said it was better to give than to receive. So how do we give more? Well, we just make the field bigger. As you increase your income, the field gets bigger. That, now that means that you can either enjoy the fruit of your labor, you can actually live more easily, more freely, because what it might have once taken you, you know, to, it might have taken this much to, to live. Well, you know, as you, as you grow now, it might only take this much. So now you're not only able to increase your giving, but you're also able to increase the inheritance for the children's children more than enough. We can take that away, please. Let me show you, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22 says this, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. Do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord, your God. Not only do you have to steward the resource that you have well, but you also need to steward the giving well. Not giving under compulsion, not giving willy-nilly, but giving in wisdom. There was a reason for the edges to be left. It was so that the poor and needy who didn't have fields, they didn't have the ability to create their own wealth, they were then able 
to receive. Because if you're able to create your own wealth, then you don't need to go and harvest in someone else's field. It goes one step further in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 5. It says that we should care for our relatives, especially those in our household. Because if we don't, we've denied true faith. 1 Timothy 5, 8, such people are worse than unbelievers. Some powerful words right there in Scripture. That if we're not, if we're not willing to look after our relatives, especially those in our household, it says we're worse than unbelievers. Because see, unbelievers are under the curse. They hoard, they take, they greed, they, 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 don't, they don't give, they get. They take, but it's not how we are meant to live as the children of God. In stewarding our field, the Bible also has a principle of our Sabbath. We're not meant to work seven days. Work six, rest one. Your field even is not meant to work seven days. The, the Bible goes into this teaching so deeply that it's not even just the, the week, but also every seven years, they were to, to grind the harvest back into the fields. So smart by God, just telling them how to, how to farm better. Because what would that have done? It would have put nutrients back into the soil so that then the next six years, they would have abundant crops. There is purpose in doing it God's ways. You've got to give it a rest we go out, we breathe out, we work, we create six days, we come in, we breathe in, we rest on a seventh day. My last point is this, to activate the overflow. When you give, it activates an overflow. There is a way to live the abundant life. It doesn't just happen. We have to outwork the promises and the commandments of God in our lives to access it. So how do we, how do we activate the overflow? Well, it's not by living the way the world does, because that's not overflow. See, the world teaches us save, hoard, greed, keep, stockpile, we receive to gain. The Bible teaches us give and we'll get. How do we live free of the bondage of money? How do we have more than enough? With all the current issues of our economy, how can we live without worry, without the pressure of money making us a slave? Food, fuel, God bless fuel, oh my gosh. Living expenses, clothes, school fees, the home, car, incidents, let alone savings or a holiday or maybe some investments. How do we live in financial freedom? See, the world says that when you have enough money working for you that you don't have to work, then you are in financial freedom. But the Bible says if you don't worry about money, then you are in financial freedom. You don't have to worry if you apply the commands of God, because God takes care of the rest. Let me show you this, Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So Jesus would have used a, uh, a bag as an illustration uh, of seed, uh, farmers. You have a bag, you, you collect your harvest, it goes in, and Jesus says, well, if you take out of that and you give, it activates something. 
takes us to put our hand in, to take out, and to give. Because it's now, there's a, there's a void. We, we've taken of what we've got and we've given it. So God says, well, I'll come and fill that void. But God says, I'm not just going to give it back to you. What I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to put it in, I'm going to press it down, shake it. You know, when you shake something and it all settles. So that you can pour it in. It says he'll pour it in so much so that it overflows into your lap. More than enough for you more than enough for those around you. What we create by what God has given us is not just for us, as is salvation, our inheritance. It is for those around us also. What did Jesus say? When you see someone, don't withhold. Give, lean in. If you have the ability and you withhold, woe to you. That's the words of Jesus. You see, God doesn't need you to have a lot for him to be able to do a lot. Just think of the story of the, the five loaves of bread and the two fish. The smallest of offering, enough food for one person to have lunch. What did Jesus do with it? Fed 5,000 men, let alone the women and children. It's, just, it's the same principle through it all. It's not the amount we give. It's the heart that we give it with. And that's we give the way God has commanded us to give, to steward what he has given us and given us the ability to create. Jesus said, don't worry. Don't worry about all of the stuff. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. If God takes care of the birds and he clothes the fields with lilies, how much more will your heavenly father not look after you. It is a promise of abundant life, a life with no worries. That is the freedom that I've been praying over today and over this sermon. Let me read this to you, and if I can get the band to come back up, please. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Church, live generously and watch God take care of the rest. Live stewarding what God has given you and watch him take care of the rest. God says, test him. God says, test him and watch. Test him and watch because something that Jesus said you will either become enslaved to or not God gives us a way out of that enslavement. He says, test me and watch what I will do. You see, when you get tempted to not, when you get tempted to cheat God, to rob God of his 10%, and then when you don't leave the edges of your field, when you don't give to those in need, when you don't give of what God has given you to your family, in your home, to your relatives... And then to all of the people out, it's that same principle of salvation, first to the Jews, then to the Samaritans, and then to the ends of the earth. There is a principle of freedom when we do it God's way. He is our first fruits and He requires our first fruits. Stewarding, implementing the principles of God brings freedom into your life. Generosity breaks greed. It breaks the back of greed, of hoarding, of storing up. 
self-treasures here on earth. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 8. Would you stand as I come to a close today? Thank you.